gonna definitely not shut up and dribble. The champ is here. I must be the greatest. The champ is here. I'm gonna continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will, I will not, not lose. lose. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man. Mate. Yes, he is the DB of the show. We are black in sports, giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here interviewing the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom, covering it all, laughing at it all, while providing a platform to be heard. So you know what we do about this time, and we got to bring him in. We got to bring him in right, okay? So you've seen him all over ESPN, all right? Whether it's providing, you know, his parting shots on outside the lines or maybe his competitive performance on Around the Horn, one of our favorite shows. Uh, you may even hear him on the ESPN The Daily, the podcast. He's an author, writer. He is an HU uh, graduate, and, you know, some say the real HU, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, he is in the Hall of Fame, so he's a pirate Hall of Famer. Uh, uh, for the journalist department, man. So we're really excited because he is known to draw the sophisticated parallels between culture and sports. So currently, man, he is a sports, excuse me, senior sports and culture reporter at the ESPN. Please, 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 please clap it up for Justin Tinsley. Appreciate yes. y'all. Absolutely, man. We're excited, man. So, all right, man, we jump right into it here. So on our show, we like to start with the shoot your shot question. And, you know, we got to get that real story. So it could have been something where you fumbled the ball, fumbled the bag, or, you know, you, you, know, you took it in for the slam dunk. Uh, but you can't give us that always shoot my shot. We want something specific, man. So give us a shoot your shot moment. Oh, man. Oof. There's so, <laughs> so many. Anybody that tells you there aren't a lot of like, ah, man, I fumbled at the one right there, especially in the career of journalism and media, they lying to you. But I'll go back to one of my earliest, earliest uh Example. So this had to be around 2010, maybe 2011. I, it was somewhere at the start of the, the 2010s. And it was right when I first started getting paid to, to, you know, freelance. It wasn't a lot of money. But at that point in time, you get your first check and write and you're like, man, I'm never going back to doing this for free, <laughs> even if it's 25 bucks, which it was not a lot of money. Right. But I ended up getting an interview with the, the rapper Webby. And if you know anything about <laughs> Webby, like the dude, Give me that. <laughs> like the dude is a walking quotable. I mean, you don't even really have to ask questions. You just, you just give him a topic. Like I'm just looking at something like neck pillow for, for like <laughs> getting on the airplane. He's like he was like, oh man, Shardy. Like let me tell you. And so like we had like an interview. It was like three hours long. It was like three hours long. I'm like, yo, this is awesome. Like uh -huh. I can't wait to transcribe this joint. Like it's gonna get me so many more opportunities. EJMH, I lied to you not. When I hung up the phone, I did not press record. Oh, now you got me oh. double checking. <laughs> oh, man. No, wait, I ain't going to lie to you. I literally went into my living room, dog, and I cried. I cried, bro, because it was like, yeah, I can't even, like. Where do you go? You know, give you, like, 500 words on, like, a like. oh, yeah, I spoke to Webby. We spoke about these things. Here's one quote that I remember. It's just like, bro, I had to go to my editor. I'm like, yo, man, I'm not even going to, like, try to lie to you or anything. And, like, yo, I forgot to hit record. So, like, I'm sorry. Like, and you know what? Honestly, it worked out well for me because, you know, the editor was like, yo, I appreciate you being honest. You know, a lot of people would try to, you know, do whatever. And I'm like, yo, man, 
I'm sorry. I, I could give you another story on this. And honestly, like, I don't even need to get paid for this because <laughs> I fumbled the bag on this. And like, they took the other story. They loved it. But there was just a lesson learned, man. I'm like, yo, whenever, whenever I do an interview, it's like <laughs> I got my I got my one thing that I say before every interview. It's like, yo, for full transparency, I'm going to record this. <laughs> I can transcribe it later. And then I hit record and then we go. But, bro, like there, there is a phenomenal Webby interview sitting out in space somewhere. <laughs> you know like, what I mean? Wow. Like, the, the, those, those aliens that are on those UFOs that they were talking about in Congress today was probably getting a kick out of it. But, uh, yeah, man, that, that was definitely the time I – I didn't even shoot my shot, bro. I didn't even get off the bench. <laughs> you know? so, so yeah, that that that's my story. I love this is it. gonna be a, this is gonna be a fun interview because as many times we've asked that question, ain't nobody like, hey, I messed up here. Ain't nobody from a no bag. We just all all wins. Nah, nah, bro. Months, like, so I appreciate any it, anybody tell you that their career is like based off wins. Yeah, the wins you remember, but the the losses, oh boy, they hurt in the moment. But <laughs> if, if you do it right, they build character. But oh man, I got I got so I got so many L's, bro. I can give you another one. I give you another one. So let's go. So I'm at I'm at ESPN. Yeah, I'm I'm like well within my career at ESPN at this point. And uh, you remember when Wayne dropped the Carter Five, and that was like a big moment because you know Wayne didn't know whether he was ever going to release music again. You know, stuff with Cash Money was going on. Yeah, and. There's a song, and I forget what the song is, but he was like, thank God Weezy's back. You know what I mean? Because he acknowledged, like, yo, I've been going for a minute. I didn't know. And this is, like, when LeBron had first signed with the Lakers. And I was out in L.A. working on some stories. And so I went to practice that day. And, you know, LeBron, like he always does, he's in his car listening to music. He's listening to it. And, you know, I just asked him, like, a feel-good question. And I was like, yo, like, you being a big hip-hop fan and obviously – people of of our era because lebron's only like a year and some change older than me like yo right. Lil wayne holds like a special place like in our heart like how do you feel that wheezy's back and brown was like he ain't never go anywhere i'm like come on dog like <laughs> wayne literally says it like thank god wheezy's back and like it kind of went viral on the internet because of everything lebron does i'm like bro i didn't ask a dumb question like Lil wayne said it i'm asking <laughs> interpretation on it but uh you know that is it's all fun man like it, it i get a chance to work in the industry where you know i always admired it i always wanted to do it for a long time i had no and i'm sure we'll get more into this but i had no clue how i was going to turn that you know my desire or my dreams into a reality so uh but yeah yeah mh anybody that tells you like no i got wins i got wins and i ain't got no losses man they lying like shit <laughs> Facts. I know. I know. Shout out to Brian Press for you and the family. I oh, absolutely, man. Going on with that man so. Yeah. Shout shout out to Brian and that. Fa- I got a chance to work with his team mm. on like a big series that I was working on. They they were very open and accommodating. And obviously, the situation that's going on with Bronny, man, I wish nothing but the absolute best for 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 Bronny and the entire James family because that's a very serious situation. I have, I've had loved ones go through that same type of situation, and mm. like it's it. it don't matter how much money, how much influence, how much power in the world, there's nothing more humbling than knowing that, you know, life can be in jeopardy at any moment. So my thoughts, my prayers, my love go after them. Well said, man. Prayers up. So where did your love for sports start? Ooh, okay. So uh, I realized very early on that I wasn't going to be Michael Jordan. 
<laughs> uh, I realized that I was not going to be six six and go to the University of North Carolina. I uh, wasn't going to have a however high he jumped. Uh, but one thing I always loved, and you know, I credit my my late uncle to this. You know, I've written about this a couple of times. Uh, my uncle John, who lived here in Washington D.C. when I was younger, he passed for context. He passed away from um, colon cancer in 1999. But one thing we used to always do, we used to always watch Sports Center together, and always watch you know football and basketball. Like we watch if it was if it was a sport, we would watch it, and he would like break down like as much as he knew about it and the stories behind the players. And, you know, we would watch sports center, like Stuart Scott was our guy. And he would always, he's like, yo, I want to see you doing that one day. That's going mm. like, you you would be great at that. And, you know, I, you know, I, I grew up without my pop. So like my uncle was, he was my father figure. And like anything that he told me to do, if he said jump, I would say how high, but I always knew he had my best interest at heart. And so like, that's where my love of sports came from. I come from a sports family. My grandfather, uh, he was a, I mean, he was a athletic director in, in the HBCU circle for many decades, had football coach uh, in the CIAA. So, you know, I grew up around sports. I, I just, and I love playing sports, but I also knew that I was never going to be, you know, worth the damn on the collegiate level and damn sure not a professional level. But one thing I always loved was the story behind sports. Of course, I love, you know, the the play-by-play and, oh, they should run a play action here or they should run a pick and roll here or how fast can they run the, the 100 or 200 here. But I love the stories behind it. Like, I used to collect Sports Illustrators back in the day. I used to collect vibes and the source and everything like that because, like, yeah, you could tell me, like, when this album comes out, but, like, what's the story behind this album? What's the story behind this project? What's the story behind like this, this playoff series that, you know, is so important. And I used to love learning about that. And so that's where my love of sports came from was just the storytelling aspect and all of it. That's fine, man. So with that, man, I mean, so you said that, uh, he was an AD, you said in HBCU. So how did you choose what HBC, like, hold on, I guess going, did you know it was always going to be HBCU for yeah. you when, when you were choosing college? Yeah, I kind of, you know, uh, I grew up around HBCU. So just to give you some examples, you know, my mother, uh, she's a third generation uh, graduate of South Carolina State University. And my grandfather went there as well. But he also worked, like I said, in the HBCU circle in terms of just collegiate athletics, uh, mm -hmm. from athletic director to he coached football, he coached tennis, he coached a lot of different things. And uh, my my aunt, my aunt Cynthia, she went to, to Livingstone. I had a cousin Kim. She went to A&T. And so like, uh, but my aunt Cheryl, she went to Hampton. And and I grew up, I, I literally grew up like five minutes away from Virginia State University. And so I used to go to those games all the time. I went to, I would, I didn't go to my big first, I guess you could say power five type of college football game until, shoot maybe after college, mm. you know, I was, I was well into my adulthood. Like my, my idea of like the college experience was the HBCU experience just because that's what I grew up around it. And a lot of my family went there. So uh, how I got to Hampton was my aunt Cheryl, she graduated from there in uh, the early eighties. And like in the early two thousands, like she would take me down there to, to Hampton to go to basketball games. And if you remember, this is around the time Hampton beat uh, Iowa State in the tournament. And, like, Hampton was, like, really – they were popping, like, for real, yeah. for real, in, in 
basically basketball and football. So I would go down there. I would go to the game. She would take me on like a tour of campus. And I'm like, yo, this is, I, I, I really nice. like this. Like it's still an HBCU, but it's not Virginia state, which is like right around the corner for me. And I, I wanted to go somewhere quote unquote different. And uh, yeah, that's what led me to Hampton, man. I, I applied to like two schools. I applied to Hampton and I applied to the university of Miami just to see if I could get in. <laughs> and then my mom saw like the price tag on it. She was like, nah, we're going to Hampton. And I'm like, I bet we're going to Hampton, man. And you know, I'm like, that's cool. I, I, I ain't, you know, I, I wanted, to, I wanted to go to the U just so I could do that type of, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, um, and it was Miami, but no, Hampton turned out to be, you know, the best decision of my life, and I, I, I love it with all my heart. And you know, I try to give back as as much as I can right now, and I, and I, I want to do a lot more. So I grew up around HBCU culture, like. To, I'll be honest with you. I know I'm going long on this, but I didn't really know there was a difference between HBCU culture and, you know, predominantly white institution culture, because all I knew was HBCU. HBCU. I just knew HBCU is, oh, this is college culture right here. So and you yeah. thought everything else was like that. Right. Yeah, I thought everything was just like that. You black people everywhere. <laughs> it, it is not narrator. He was wrong. But, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny that you say that because. I think we're all around the same age, and I think I, what I remember sports and culture being kind of tied in the, in the one, so to speak, in the stories was Fab Five, yep. UNLV, yep. Duke and Grant Hill, Shaq and his rapping, and I, I, my mom ran over my older brother's tape so many times because she didn't like all that cussing. Yeah. Uh, so I guess finding out that part where we grew up, we grew up in a nice, you know, interesting air. I guess how did what was the start of that love of culture and sports all into one? Was it fat? Was it before Fab Five? What, what was it? Just I HBCU. Yeah, so I I think for me, so I I'm I'm 37, so I was born in '86, and Same. obviously I love you know culture and I love sports, but like the I I guess on a on a big national level because I've mm. always loved them and I've always loved them together. But I think probably the first real example when I seen both of those worlds like not collide, but like really mesh and be like, oh, okay, this makes sense was my VA brother, Alan Iverson. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Iverson was like a game changer. Not obviously in the terms of the way that he played, which was dominant for uh, a person of his size, but just the way that he approached how he presented himself. Like it was like he never wanted to be anybody but Allen mm-hmm. Iverson. Now, sometimes that got him in trouble. And sometimes he put his foot in his mouth. But, you know, a <laughs> lot of times he opened doors that hadn't even been erected yet when he was doing stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, the way, that, the way that he talked, the way that he walked, the way that he dressed, the, you know, the tattoos, the chains, the cornrows, he wasn't doing that to portray himself like, how larger society was saying at the time, like, oh, he's a thug, he's doing this. He was like, no, this is just my way of life. Just because you don't understand my way of life shouldn't make you uncomfortable. But if you're uncomfortable, I'm not going to make myself uncomfortable to make you comfortable. You know what I mean? Like, And I saw that very early on with Allen Iverson. And he just always embraced like that culture that I loved. And the fact that he was from Virginia, I was from Virginia, that, that was great too. So I had to say Iverson was probably because uh when the Fab Five were doing that thing, I definitely knew who the Fab Five were, but I don't think I was old enough to appreciate 
like right. what they were doing in real time. Obviously, I give them their respect. And UNLV, of course, and I mean, Shaq is Shaq. Like that dude's been in my life every year that I can remember <laughs> since 1991 or something like that. But I would have to say AI was probably like that first real example that I that I, that I remember and I gravitated to and I embraced and I haven't let go since. All right, so I, I, I gotta I gotta ask you this, man, and I wouldn't be real if I didn't ask, right? Yeah. So we've had debates on this show many, many times about Allen Iverson, and I'm a I'm a James Harden supporter. Okay. So given your expertise in the field, Allen Iverson or James Harden, do their compare careers compare, or it's not a comparison? Uh, <laughs> I, I see I see why you bring that up. I I think Pete James Harden is he's an offensive weapon that we've never seen before. But if I have to go, put it this way. If I have to trust somebody who I know is going to go out there and like bust <laughs> their ass, and he may go eight for 29. I ain't going to lie to you. AI may go eight for 29. But who I would rather have on my team is Allen Iverson. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Way to sleep, yeah, Allen. <laughs> No, no, look, look. Hey, so, I, well, Justin, that's been a, that's been a rolling of our last couple episodes been. in our live show, and like he threw it out on our live show, and the reaction was, but he is right. There is you, you, you did it properly. You have to pause and give it concern. But yes, I'm with you too. I'm on the hill by myself. I'm, I'm gonna die on this hill. <laughs> look, that, there was that era where where James was in Houston, and I was like, man, this dude is like really unstoppable, oh, and man. it's just. I done seen James. <laughs> I done seen not even nut up. I didn't see James like completely put out an APB. Where is of, he? Like, where is he? Yes. And it's just like for as talented as an offensive player as he is, and he's going obviously he's the top 75 player of all time. He'll go Easy. to the Hall of Fame. We know all that. But it's like in those moments when his teams needed him the most, <laughs> that dude was like Homer Simpson into the bushes, like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, no, no, no. And it's just like, again, so I, I give him credit for what he is. But if I if I got to go, if I got to go into battle, man, I'm taking AI every day to end it. Why? Bubba Chuck, let's go. <laughs> All right. So speaking of like cultural influences and things that we remember, right, you know, we, we got a chance to, for those that didn't went around, had a, a semblance of the flu game. And uh, we got a little bit of an intel that uh, you had a, a somewhat of a flu game. And we didn't get context of the flu game. So oh. you know, we, we know we know MJ's flu game, man. Would you like to share uh, your, your uh, flu game <laughs> experience? And kind of maybe give us a little more about that. Oh man! Like inside source. <laughs> oh man! I can't believe. Oh man! Y'all, y'all really did y'all intel on this. Oh man! Okay. <laughs> so, you remember the commercials back in the '90s? Michael Jordan and Gatorade, like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I was that kid who took the lyrics literally. <laughs> you, know, so you know how some people are like, oh, hip hop is destroying our youth. They're they're living what they're rapping. No, I live what be like Mike <laughs> said. You know what I mean? I'm eating Gatorade. I'm drinking Gatorade. Eating Wheaties for breakfast and like and and <laughs> my 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 stomach feels like five o'clock rush hour traffic and I don't know what's going on. So, all right, so it's the the winter of '97. I'm trying out for like a little traveling team or whatnot. I'm I mean I, I was decent at basketball. I wasn't great at, at all. I, I had a had a really good corner jumper. I had a really good corner jumper, but by no means was I Michael Jordan. But in my head, I was Mike. And so I'm like, all right, man, we got trials tomorrow. 
we got a game tomorrow or scrimmage or whatever the case may be. This is 97. So this is what God knows how many years ago, 26 years ago at this point. Wow. And something tells me like, man, I'm going to have my own flu game. I'm going <laughs> to sleep with the fan on full, full blast. I'm going to open the window. Keep in mind, it's December. Ugh. And lo and behold, thankfully, my brother, my younger brother was smarter. He got out of the room and go, went to go sleep in our grandmother's bed. I'm like, nope, I'm doing it. And it, I'm like 11, so he's five. And he's, he's like, dude, you're dumb. And I'm like, man, get the hell out of the room. So I wake up the next morning, bro. Can't breathe out my nostrils. Eyes all puffy. And my mom is like, what the hell is wrong with you? How did you get sick? And Anthony, my brother, like, why aren't you sick? He's like, I left the room. <laughs> and so I told her what happened. And she was like, boy, you got to be the dumbest person I've ever heard. <laughs> so I went out there, man. You, what, what Mike have in that game? 38, 7, and 5. Did uh, some some you know Herculean type of performance. Right. Well, whatever the exact polar opposite of Herculean is, that's what I had. I think I was like 0 for eight, four turnovers. I don't even know if any of my shots hit the rim. I'd be lucky if it grazed the net on an air ball. Needless to say, I was benched for the second half, and pretty sure that's where my basketball career ended. So yeah. Like Mike, they said. If I could be like Mike, they said. Uh, I love see, it. see, if you would have known it was a food poisoning thing that we found out in the last dance, it, we would have been cool. We would have been all cool. I mean, look, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I subscribe to Jalen Rose. I think it's the hangover game. Mm. Uh, ah. I think it's the hangover game. And by, in Utah, though? In Utah? Yeah, yes. Look, yes. Man, it's, it's a quick fight to Vegas. Robin on his team too, like you know, like Robin got to connect. He's like, I'll show you how to do it. Look, here's what I gotta say, and by me saying this, this is not like me attacking Michael Jordan or trying to belittle his legacy. No, as a grown man now, who you know, at some point over the course of my life, I've had to deal with those morning headaches after a wild night with friends, and to get up. And go play a basketball That's game in altitude, a finals game on the road, tied two-two, and we all know how important series are when a series is tied two-two, and you got to go on the road, and then you go on the road and give them thirty-eight points, seven rebounds, five assists, including the the three-pointer that basically iced the game. That is, I mean, that 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 may be the the greatest performance in sports history, and if he was actually hungover. And in my mind, he was hungover. And that's just even more respect to Mike for that. Because I mean, systems in June. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, want to jump into the career, man. Come, we got a lot to cover in there, man. And you know, we may throw some other kind of con jumping back into your background. But um since you said the the, the series score, I kind of want to jump to this and then we'll kind of rewind, right? So yeah. you have a theory, the two one one theory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. since you brought it was two two, whatever, I just said, let me jump to that right now. Where did this theory come up with? Is this something that you had to take down? Did you do a, a thesis on? Is this your doctoral thesis that you worked on at Georgetown? Where did this come up from? And then are people adopting it other than Cameron? Or no, no, was it Mace that was trying to steal yeah. your? <laughs> yeah, come on, Mace. Like, come on, like I, I'm such a big fan of it is what it is, and I'm like, come on, man. I just need y'all. Just invite me on the show. It will have credit, right? Give a little credit. 
You know what I mean? We'll let bygones be bygones. But no, how the 211 theory came to be, uh, one of my best friends in life, uh, his name is Kenny Masenda. Excuse me, Dr. Kenny Masenda, because he's got, he's got his doctorate. And I always respect people who earn that title. Uh, so my boy Kenny, who lives down in Texas, man, and we, we're sports junkies. You know, we talk about sports. We talk about not just the X's and O's, but a lot of the same conversations that we have right now in this very show we would have. And so we were talking about what, what postseason was it? It was like 2013, 2014. And we're just talking and we're just we're just going back and forth. It's like, man, you ever realized that like, yeah, LeBron ain't going to win all four games. This got to be like two from LeBron. Like at this point, I guess LeBron was still in the heat. Like two from LeBron, like D way to give you one. And I, I guess it really don't count with the big three, but it would always, it would always happen. Like LeBron would have two crazy games. D way would have that one crazy game. And then out of nowhere, like Mike Miller would lose his shoe and go crazy in game five. It was like, Let's watch other series to see if it goes like this. Now, is it foolproof? No. But we saw in a lot of examples, it was like, yo, man, we might be on to something here. And we just started jokingly calling it to ourselves like the 2-1-1 theory. And it it changed how we watch postseason basketball from there on out. It was like, dog, like it, 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 it never fails. Like you'll watch a series and then like out of nowhere, you know, you're watching – I'm, uh, the Celtics or something like that. Like, yeah, Jason Tatum will go crazy. Jalen Brown will go crazy. But it's that one game where, like, Robert Williams would have, like, 17 <laughs> rebounds and six why, blocks. Why and Marcus Smart? Who yeah, or Marcus Smart. Where did it come from? Where come from? And yeah. So once I started on Around the Horn, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just mention it on TV to see if it sticks. And all credit to Tony Reale, like, he loves stuff like that. He uh-huh. was like, what? He's like, no, break that down for me. Like, what is it? And so I mentioned it the first year, it caught on. I mentioned it my second year, it caught on more. But this year, it really seemed to like, you know, <laughs> people like hitting me on Twitter with like spreadsheets breaking down each. It's like, yo, we're going like, yo, you were right for this series. It didn't work out for this series, but it worked out for the other two. And yeah, it's just, it, it's really, it's hilarious, but it's even more flattering to know that like, Something myself and one of my best friends really just came up with while we were shooting the shit on the phone is it, really, you know, now now Mace is jocking it on. It is what it is, you know? <laughs> it's dope. But it is what it is. Gabe <laughs> <laughs> Benson owe you part of his check based on that. Hey, man, video. look. I will tell you that Miami, right now. <laughs> the Miami Heat are a classic 2-1-1 theory team. Yes. <laughs> he owe you something, man. So I got to start very first piece at ESPN. Uh, the Marvin Gaye NFL trial with the Detroit Lions. This educated me. I wrote the story. I, I had no idea about this. How did that process start into that story? And tell us a little bit about our listeners. So, that's crazy. yeah, that, that was, yeah, that's wild. Like, um, it's coming up on like eight years since I wrote that story for the first time. And I, I knew, like, I, this is even before, you know, the site had launched when it was then called The Undefeated. Uh, this was like, uh, I want to say, eight, nine months before the Undefeated launch. And so we were publishing stories on ESPN.com just to drum up excitement. And I knew I needed my first story to be something that was like, oh, wow, like, this is dope. I didn't know that. And so, you know, I, you know, I read a lot of books. I don't really get a, get a chance to read as much as I used to. Not, not do audio books. 
But, you know, I, at that point, I had just finished reading uh, Marvin Gaye's biography written by David Ritz called Divided Soul, which if you haven't read that, I highly, highly, highly suggest you read that. And in the book, there, there's a part where they talk about Marvin, you know, trying out for the Lions. And it may be like four or five paragraphs. And then they right. just move on to I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wait, what? So I made I made note of that. I'm like, all right, page. I can't remember. I'm like, page. 142 right first three paragraphs something like that so like, let me look that up and i looked it up online and it wasn't really a lot written and so like me i'm a research nut i kind of use it as like a scavenger hunt it's like all right so i got the idea where am i going with that and i just started reaching out to a bunch of different people and one of the people one of the organizations that helped me out a lot was the nfl hall of fame mm. and they put me in touch with uh Lim Barney, who's an NFL Hall of Famer, and Lim Joe Barney. Schmidt, who's the coach of the Lions at that point, who's a Hall of Famer. And they they uh, referred me to Mel Farr, who's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's like a Lions great. And so I they they were the basis for the entire story. I, I obviously interviewed other people for it, but I'm like, yo, I just really want to tell this story because obviously I'm a big fan of music, and I feel like this is a very natural way to talk about how both worlds influenced each other. And it's not just the like, oh, well, you know, you hear some music being played during warmups and like, this is cool. Like, no, this is how these worlds have interacted with each other and like, honestly changed the world. You know, like if it wasn't for Lim Barney and Mel Farr convincing Marvin Gaye to record what's going on, what does music look like without what's going on? It was one of the first big uh, social anthems, I guess you could say. And so, yeah, I wrote the story up and uh, I ended up it, it it ended up getting edited by like the, you know he has since passed away but he's like one of the all time great ESPN editors Jay Aspringer, uh, really great guy and he you could just tell he was a guy that had a lot of life experiences and even he was like is this your first story so yeah. Like, yeah he was like one like this is well written he's of course we got to do some edits but he's like this is very well written he's like I've never heard this story and like. I grew up at a time where Marvin Gaye was like, he's my age. And he was like, you have a great first story on your hand here. And I knew when he told me that, I'm like, all right, we got something here. And <laughs> it's definitely still one of my more popular stories to this day. And I'm very, I will always be very, very proud of that story. That's dope, man. And what's so crazy is I remember that story. Like when I came across like, Cause you know, at the time, of course, like I'm not knowing who Justin Tinsley is at that time, right? Yeah. So just reading that story, I remember that story. So full circle, man. That shit's dope, man. Congrats on that. Thank you, bro. Absolutely. So kind of getting into your current job, right? So just yeah. a couple questions I have. It's more of a two-part question. So it is, um, it was the undefeated now landscape, right? Yep. So my guess, my first question was why the name change, and then two, man, how do you find content, right? Because landscape slash undefeated is a special division or you know part on the espn so maybe even delve into that so first just kind of why the name change and then how do you find uh, content in that kind of structure of what that shows or, or that kind of um vertical of espn's uh for yeah so uh you know without getting into like the the intricate weeds and nuts and bolts of like the business dealings because there are people who could talk about that far better than i can i know uh anscape now was looking to get more into like production in terms of like 
documentaries and TVs and movies and, you know, maybe merch and things like that. And we couldn't really do that because, you know, there was, you know, a clothing line called The Undefeated as well. And so that created all types of, like, you know, legal hurdles. So at least, and we, you know, you know, the upper on the decision makers of the site, they wanted to go in a different direction with the name and rebranded and really just really just put a a fort, you know, a stake in the sand. We're like, all right, this is what we're doing now. This is what, you know, Anscape is going to represent moving forward. And these are the projects that we want to pursue on a grand scale. So that, at least to my knowledge, you know, that that's why that name change uh, gotcha. occurred. But in terms of, you know, like the, the stories that I pursue, um, I know you didn't ask this, but like that didn't change anything from how I pursue the stories that I want to do. Uh, I've been blessed to honestly be given a super, super green light. I like to call it the Steph Curry green light in terms of like stories that I get the right. Now, of course, I have to pitch them and they have to get approved. And not everything gets approved. And thank God not everything gets approved <laughs> because it, not not every idea is good. You know, good half of them probably ain't good. But in terms of like the stories that you see me write, I would venture to say 80% of those are my ideas. Now, there may be some of them where, you know, my editors are like, hey, can you write on this? Can you formulate some stuff on this? And then they don't tell me what to say, of course. But it's like, hey, can you write someone? Because we need someone on this for the site. And I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. But for the most part, that's that's all my stuff. And, you know, it, when you read the topics that I do, like it's really a lot of them come from conversations that I have with my friends, like in group chat. So we've had them before or they're just topics that really, really interest me, like. I did a I did a series. I mentioned it earlier. I did a series on LeBron this past season for his 20th season. It's called LeBron's Power Plays. And I really wanted to do a big series on examining LeBron's impact off the court, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a myriad of different areas. And, you know, it, it turned out to be one of my favorite projects that I've ever done for, you know, Anscape Undefeated. Uh, so like I, I'm I'm just really blessed that, you know, I have a good I have a lot of creative control over the stuff that I write and more importantly I have like the trust of my editors to know that like at this point shit, I'm I'm eight years deep eight and a half years deep at ESPN and it's like yo this dude is like I don't have a lot of awards but you know what I mean but like I I've created a name I've created a lane for myself and I take pride in that and the last thing that I ever want is for somebody to look at me and look at my work and be like, you know what? Uh, this dude is mailing it in right now. Like he, he not really taking it seriously no more. So, you know, as, as the Pusha T album title goes, as the Marlo from the wire says, look, my, my name is my name mm-hmm. and anything with my name on it, I'm going to try to, I'm, I'm going to give it my all. I'm not, a, I'm not going to try to give it my all. I am going to give it my all. So I, this whole sports and culture and black, Black culture stuff, man, like that, that that's who I am. So it's not anything I gotta try to do. You say your name is your name and you you are uh a brand right now in and of itself. But talk to me a little bit about like the start of the process because I do wonder like how much of what you came up in the beginning of the process that somebody may take credit for. We always hear about in the music industry that hey, something was designed for somebody else. I know we know about it in the sports industry where, hey, this person was doing this or he called this play, but, you know, this person gets credit for whatever it is. Does that happen in your lane or did, has that happened to you without throwing anybody under the bus or anything? 
Uh, not that I can remember, but I, I give credit where it's due. I give credit to the people who helped me along the way. Uh, well, you know, one of the big people that I got to give credit for, he actually, he's my colleague at Anscape right now is John Gotti. And he used to run the website, uh, the smoking section, which was a big time blog back in the day. And I never forget when I first started writing for them in like the summer of 2009 and they brought me on as a writer. I was like, yo, this is this is my Rolling Stone. You know what I mean? This is my village voice. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember one of the first conversations I had with Gotti. And I was like, yo, what what do you want me to write about? And he was like, what? He was like, I want you to write about whatever the hell you want to write about. Just make sure that shit is dope. Those were his exact words to me. <laughs> he was like, bro, you can write about sports. You can write about music. Like, if it's something that you're really passionate about and we're not doing it here right now, like, put your foot in it. And he said, because all it takes is like five or six posts to really, really let readers know, like, okay, we go in this direction now. And he he taught me to be fearless. He taught me to like, yo, if you, he was like, I don't know where you come up with these wild ass stories, he said, <laughs> but they entertaining, they great, they're well written, and they they're very engaging with the audience. So keep going. And honestly, it's just like one of those. It's like repetition. You do it once, you do it twice. Twice turns into four, four turns into eight, sixteen, thirty-two, so on and so forth. And so by the time I got to ESPN a couple of years later, uh, they asked me what did I wanted to do? What I what did I want to do? I was like, yo, I want to be at least in terms of ESPN. I want to be the, 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 the premier voice of the intersection between black culture and sports. When I say black culture, I don't just mean one thing. I mean, just like this, this life of ours. And yes, yeah, sometimes it will deal with music and sometimes it'll deal with other things, but it was like, we don't really understand what you mean by that. I was like, just give me an opportunity. Let me write some stories. And it, to go back to that Marvin Gaye story, like when I wrote that, I got an email. I got emails from a bunch of editors at ESPN like, yo, that's fire. Like, yeah. I didn't even, that's a great story for us to have. And I'm like, I got a billion of these things. <laughs> let, me, let, let me cook. And thankfully, they've let me cook. Where, um, let me start with this kind of topic since it's kind of recent. You, you, you know, basketball is kind of like, I guess, one of your stronger lanes is um, our favorite sport. We didn't ask you, but just kind of assuming. Um, Wimby, yeah. what do you think about the hype that was built around him, like better than like the most, you know, next talent, bigger than like LeBron? Like, so with that comparison, man, and I, I know it's one of those things that's, you know, too soon to say, but you also have like Jay Billis who undersold LeBron, what he was going to be right when he came out, yeah. but they undersold LeBron and, but they're like really, really hyping him. Like, what are your thoughts around that? Are they doing too much? You know, is he going to, you know, succeed the hype because yeah, it's pressure, but like no one talks about the pressure like LeBron had too. Right. Cause like he was the absolute chosen one coming out. Yeah. Uh, for what you know, I, I had this conversation the other day, and I'm so glad you asked it. Uh, yeah, Jay Billis, he hyped LeBron up, but he may have undersold LeBron a little bit. But you know, I don't hold that against him. But LeBron was still insanely, insanely hyped. You know, before his first game on ESPN, they had like a teaser with like Shaq and Kobe and MJ and Wilt and Bill Jerry West, and like, oh yeah, all these guys are all known by like one name. And here comes this next guy. They call him the king, you know, and it's like, can a high schooler do this? And it's just like, so LeBron, man, LeBron had crazy hype and he somehow surpassed it. So with Wimby, I mean, I get it. We're in a different era, too. Like LeBron was part of the early Internet era. Now Wimby is part of like this, this, this monster 
that we could have never imagined the internet would become in 2003. So the hype that Wimby is getting and the fact that he's 7'4", 7'5", and can do the things that he does on a basketball court, it was only natural that people were going to fawn over this and then just, you know, over-exaggerate everything. But I, I'm thankful that he is in San Antonio because I think that's the best place for him for, for obvious reasons. And I, I hope he does live up to the hype. I really, really do. I think it would be great for the game of basketball. I think it would be great for sports in general. I hope he has a phenomenal rookie season that leads into uh, the, the Olympics next year. And that's just going to create even more hype around that. So, like, for me um, – I wish nothing but the best for Wimby. And I hope I hope he continues to fine-tune and hone his game, which I know he will, with uh, Pop. But I, And I'll say this, too. If he does live up to the hype, and I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know what live up to the hype means. Right. You know, like, dude, like Tim Duncan led the, the Spurs to the playoffs his first year, and they increased their win total by, like, 30 <laughs> games. Like, if, if, if Wimby doesn't do that, yeah. is he going to be considered a bust? I don't think that's fair, but... Like, I will say this, bro. If he somehow lives up to the hype and the contracts that we're seeing players get, he is going to be the first half a billion dollar contract. It's coming. But based on the NBA, he might be that anyway. Just just based on (laughs) Jalen Brown, he about a billy right now. It's it's funny that you say that because I feel like hype is like, since LeBron, everybody's hyped. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what no. I mean? Like, Ben Carroll was hyped. Kyrie was hyped. You know, it's just like they already talk about the dude that's in high school now, uh, Cooper uh, Flag. Flag. Yeah. yeah, he already getting gassed up. You know what I mean? So it's like I just feel like everybody's hype is part of the machine. But like, here's the one. Here's the thing. Like, potential is fun until you got to cash in on it. I'm telling and you. Then, and then potential becomes like. Uh, uh, Pressure. <laughs> a, a that you can't get from under like you know zion was the most hyped prospect since lebron and, you know, yeah. he hadn't been able to get his career out of the out of the out of the starting gates i guess you could say and, and that that's for a myriad of reasons but uh you know i think you know i think ben carroll had an incredible rookie season i think he had probably one of the better rookie seasons Easy. for number one overall pick that we've seen in quite some time. And I think he's going to be a really, really great player for a really long time. But there, there, there is one thing to live up to the hype as, as the number one overall pick. But then there's another thing to live up to the hype as the number one overall pick and have that it factor yeah. that like, I got to see him when he comes to my city, because yes. I can tell people all the time, like you need to go see Van Caro, like when he's oh. in your city, cause the dude going to put on a show, but oh. at least as of right now, he doesn't have like that, uh, you know, Broadway draw yet, you know, yeah. like box now, office at Steven. Yeah. Box office. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I hope, and I hope he gets that. I pray he gets that, but mm-hmm. like Wimby is going to have that from, he's already got that. You, we saw how the summer league game was packed. And yeah, first day sold out. <laughs> I, I I hope he stays healthy, man. And I really hope like he lives up to I don't even know if you can live up to this hype. But then again, I ain't know LeBron could either. Maybe it's like a once in a 20-year thing that people do. <laughs> right. you know? And if that's the case, we do for it now. That is. The stories you write. Yeah. You know, your best friends, your folks, how do they describe what you do? How would they describe it? Um, 
damn, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of my homeboys, they'll, they'll read my stuff and be like, that shit fire, Tim. That shit fire, bro. Like, and but sometimes like it really trips them out because like somebody will say something like in a group chat, and then I'll take it and formulate like an entire story out of it. And they'll be like, yo, bro, how did you do that? Like, and I'm like, bro, I love research. And so I've learned from a lot of my friends in my in my group chats and our one-on-one conversations in person and on the phone or via FaceTime. I'm like, yo. What'd you say? And it was like, oh yeah, so and so from so and so said this, and I don't know if it's true. Now I'm like, hey, hold on for a second. Right, I'll, be right back. I'll be right back. I'm like, all right, bet, yeah. And I think that's the to me, that's the sign of a great reporter if you're inquisitive. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I, I I I'd be lying to you if I said like every story that I've ever written has come off the top of the dome. Like that's just not the case. Like no writer in history has ever came up with a hundred percent of his or her stories and off the dome. It's like, you got to experience the world around you. Right. You know what I mean? You got to experience the world. You can't just be that writer that just holds up in a basement and just cranks out words. To me, I got to go out and live life. I got to go out and like, you know what I mean? Smell the blunt smoke at a concert. Or I got to, you know what I mean? Hear people arguing at a bar over something. Like to me, that that gives my stories so much more color, so much more life and so much more, I guess, I guess, entertaining factors to it so like the connectivity to the culture man yeah like man, that's, that's the realness right like that's that connectivity yeah. to it, man you, you can't say that you connected to it and then don't want to connect to it so <laughs> can, can can that can that to your point can that ever be like replicated on like daytime tv because i always feel like shows come out and they it's trying to connect with the code and trying right. to have that barbershop type of feel but it, it don't hit right you know what i mean can that ever live in that mainstream lane the six on ESPN with, uh, yeah. <laughs> with Michael shout Smith. Out, and Michael Michael. Yeah, that, okay. they, that, I mean, that's a great question, MH, because that like that was one of those shows, right? Where we were mm-hmm. they were supposed to be able to kind of have that barrier, that openness to talk about the culture. Right. And like that's the thing. Like it is one thing to say that, like, oh yeah, we want to connect with you know the culture in these type of ways. We want to give you the runway to do this. But then when you board the plane and you on that runway and it's like, oh, okay, uh, how did did you say this? And so it's like there has to be that mutual understanding between the people who are going to connect you to the culture and the people who basically, and for lack of a better description, sign the checks. And, you know, like it's been really hard to, to see that, you know, come up like i would i would love to have my own version of a show that was like reminiscent of like rap city the basement i don't know what that would look like i would i would i would love to have it because i always felt like that show was like very pure and of itself and very authentic and i always loved the conversations that were had on there but uh and then then you get the athletes to go in the booth afterwards certain athletes certain athletes i I don't need to have all of them rapping like (laughs) We'll have a booth, but we'll also have a different, uh, you know, separate standalone thing where they can go and invent their thoughts or whatever in in a certain way. But, uh, yeah, I'll never say never, but uh, it just hadn't happened yet or hadn't Mm -hmm. happened on a a long term. Uh, I, I look back at something like the Richard Pryor show in 1977, like. 
NBC wanted to get in bed with Richard Pryor, and Richard Pryor was like, "All right, that's cool." <laughs> but you know, Richard Pryor go Richard Pryor, Going and it's the reason Richard, Richard Pryor show only lasted four episodes before he <laughs> took that off the air. So. Yeah. That's why I'm interested in like Prime because like I feel like he's like pushing the edge with some of the access behind the scenes that you get. And it's like, eh, we cool with this and sound cool, but is it cool? Cool? I don't, I, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, man. Like I, I, I read the reports earlier today that you know Colorado is contemplating moving to the Big 12. Big 12, yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Dion, like this is all because of you, bro. Like this is <laughs> all because of you. Like, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy a couple of months ago when he left Jackson State and, you know, how he left. And, you know, it's that's another topic for another time. But uh, now we got to see just how patient they're going to be with Dion there. Right, right. You know what I mean? Because, like, I don't think anybody is expecting Dion to put Colorado in the, the college football playoff conversation year one. It's just not going to happen. Right. But – how long are you going to give him to actually build that program in the way that he wants to the build? The way he wants to. You know, so that'd be, that'd be very interesting. You know, the same way I, I look at D'Amico Ryan's down there in Houston. They yeah, gave him a six-year contract. So it was like, all right, you gave him six years, but, but when, does the, when does the seat get hot? And fully guaranteed the quarterback. Now, I mean, hey, that's, yeah, hey. Look, so, yeah, so it'll be very interesting <laughs> to see what, what, uh, what you know, like you said, the runway that they give Dion in mm-hmm. in uh Colorado, like how long is that runway? Because right now it feels like that runway is miles long. Definitely. Yeah, he, just- yeah. <laughs> he can do. He, he can run for like the governor of Colorado right now. <laughs> but well, he's going to those restaurants and hey, we now serve grits for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, no. grits in the, in the UC. No, like don't don't go three and seven this season and then go five and six the next. Like, yeah, yeah. it's an improvement, but like yeah, are you improving at the speed that they want you to improve? So that's gonna five. be Kel Kel back in the lunchroom soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, MH got the quick hits. Yeah, I do. So some quick kind of get to know you kind of questions for you, Justin. Yep. So oddest place that you ever been recognized. Damn, that's a good question. This is a quick kick. I need to hurry up and answer. Uh, I just... <laughs> a laundromat? <laughs> and and, and I, I just, uh, I was in there with my friend one time. And he was like, yo, I got to go meet my cousin at the laundromat. So we walked in and, you know, one person was like, yo, Ain't you that dude that's on TV? I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. But yeah, of course I'm on TV. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah, so I I don't even know if a laundromat is a weird place to be recognized, but like just to yeah, I would say a laundromat for right now. Yeah. Next to next to a kid with a, a prom dress and soccer cleats. So I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> uh, an insult that you may have received that you're proud of. Oh man. So this actually just happened recently. It's another around the horn joint. And this is, you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, it's funny, but it's not funny. So my boy, David Dennis is also like one of my best friends in the world. And he's on around the horn and uh, he had won that day. So he made it to the final round and I didn't make it. So somebody after the show aired, somebody on Twitter was like, oh man, here you go. Race baiting again, talking about, 
such and such. And I don't know what the topic was. Talking about Ja and such and such and equating this to race. It has nothing to do with race, you fucking race baiter. I'm like, first of all, that was Nick Dennis. I wasn't even on the show when that topic came up. And like the dude blocked me, didn't respond. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Two light-skinned brothers. We all look alike, huh? We all look alike. Yo, that's perfect. Yeah, I was like... Uh, shout out to David. Yeah, shout out to David Dennis, man. Love it, dude. What's the time of day you get your best work done? Ooh. Now, especially now that I got a six, got almost seven-month-old. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that early, early in the morning when he goes back down for like an early morning nap, that like that seven to eight thirty window, because like sometimes I'll just be working on my phone, you know. So I would I would just say seven to eight thirty because after that he's up, he turned up. <laughs> I couldn't get no work done if I wanted to. It's a wrap. <laughs> Two more uh, top five most influential athletes to the culture. Give me give me five. Ooh, like of all time. All time. Damn, that's tough. And I already know I'm going to leave people out. Uh, wow. Of course, I say Iverson. I say Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, Jordan. Uh, you know, this person really doesn't get a lot of credit um, because they passed away at an early age. But I got to give credit to Flojo, Florence Griffin Joyner, mm. and like what she did from the track and field perspective in terms of fashion and the way she walked on her track, you know, her fingernails and everything. I, I thought, and I've read up a lot about her over like the last several years, and like her cultural impact just doesn't get discussed enough. So, so that was four and five. Um, I might have to say Bo Jackson. Mm. I wanted to say Dion, and if you say Dion, then I won't be mad at you. Mm-hmm. But I'd say Bo Jackson. I'd say Bo Jackson, and I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting a billion more people. But he's a pro star. Yeah. <laughs> that cartoon. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like Bo knows, man. Bo knows. knows. Yeah, Bo, Bo knows. knows everything. So yeah, I would say them five. Nice. If, if somebody's gonna play you, my last one. Somebody's gonna play you in a movie. What? Who would the actor be? Oh God. Uh, it was the junior. <laughs> yeah, 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 my son Huey, I guess you know. He, he, um, hey, play me, golly, that's a good question. I always joke, like, yeah, Michael B. Jordan would play me, but no, he wouldn't play me. <laughs> Yo, you know, you know, uh, it's my man. And that because we don't really look alike, but I've always enjoyed everything he was ever in just because I enjoy his personality. Uh, I'll say this, but then I'll pick somebody else. The dude that played uh, Chris on Everybody Hates Chris, he plays in, um, uh, like, I, I think that dude is like, is, yeah, was it James Michael, James, James Tyler Williams or something like that? But, anyways, like, that dude, I'm a big fan of him, but I that's a good. I'm just going with my son. When he get a little bit older, he can play me. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, he yes, sir. in the movie, so you know it's cool. Yes, sir. and I think that's a great transition, man, to jump into this winner's circle, man. So the winner's circle, man, we really want to highlight and talk about this amazing book that you, you know, that you put, you dropped and produced, man. And I actually, you know, 
I am an avid book person, but have heavily relied on the audio book. So I'm so glad that you have an audio book version of it. Hey, <laughs> so, hey life is life, bro. I get it. <laughs> so, um, so was really excited to kind of get through it, you know, before, um, you know, we were knew we were going to have you on the show. So that, that's definitely awesome. And, you know, um, CJ played him in the movie. Yep. And you talk about how CJ was really one of the people that you kind of connected with as yeah, you went bro. on this journey for the book. So um, could, could you kind of tell us, like, man, what made you want to write Biggie's story? You know, although it's been told in, you know, some cinematic ways and some yeah. biographies that are limited and from different perspectives. But what made you kind of take this journey, man? And congratulations yeah. starting off, I guess. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Thank thank y'all, fellas, for real. Um, so it was by happenstance, bro. Like, it was September. Uh, September, October, uh, fall 2019, I okay. was clearing out my email and I ended up getting, uh, there was a subject line that says Biggie Smalls book interest, like question mark. And I'm like, I haven't heard of a new Biggie book coming out. So I happened to open the email and it was from an editor from Abrams Books and their publisher based out of uh, New York City. And it was like, yo, we read a bunch of your work. You come highly recommended. Would you be interested in being commissioned to write a book on Biggie Smalls ahead of what would have been his 50th birthday in May mm -hmm. 2022? And I'd always wanted to write a book, but I had no clue what I wanted to write a book on. And so I was like, all right, well, this kind of takes away uh, the work. I, they presented me with the book. And I knew it was odd because everything I knew about the book publishing industry was just like, I come to you, EJ, I come to you, MH, with an idea, and here's my proposal, and then you decide if you want to put money behind it, and then I write the book, and we'll go from there. Right. So that that in and of itself, that the publisher came to me was odd. Well, not odd, but it was different. And right. so we signed the, we signed the contract in like January 2020. I got my first advance from it. That was the biggest check that I've ever seen at one point in time in my life. I'm like, this is great. I need to pay for this. I need to pay for that. And then it's like, ah, shit, I really got to write this book now because I didn't spent this and I can't get money back. And if, if you're following along with the timeline, it was 2020. And I'm thinking I'm going to get to New York. I'm going to get to Atlanta where he had ties, L.A. where he had ties. And of course, you know, that's where his life ended. Uh, Chicago, X, Y and Z. I had to cancel all of those trips Almost. because, you know, the pandemic and the quarantine happened. And... That book was entirely researched, interviewed, reported, and written within isolation. You know, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to interview anybody in person for that book. Not a single person. And I knew that, like, if I'm going to write this book, and I was tripping about it at first, but, you know, shout out to my wife. I was like, yo, what do I tell people about Biggie Smalls that they don't already know? Because... You know, his story is such a he's a folk hero at this point. Right. Like him and Tupac. They're, they're both folk heroes. And she was like, yo, just do it the way that you always do. Like give people like the historical perspective. And so when you read the book, it's just as much a biography about his life as it is with like where the world was at different points in his life. So he's like this young kid thinking about selling drugs in the mid 80s. OK, well, what type of legislation is being passed in D.C. and like. You know, what type of, you know, police reform or lack thereof isn't happening in L.A. that's really starting conversations around the country. And, you know, it's just I thought that made the book different from any other thing that had been written about him. Well, because we don't really associate Biggie with that socially conscious 
effort in his music, the way that we associate that with like Tupac, when in reality, I think, I hope the book really painted Biggie in like this humanistic, introspective, and it's just like, wow, like a lot of these things he did really were just in response to the things that he had or the things that he didn't have in his life. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think you, like you said, setting the tones for all of that, right? Like you were able to navigate a little deeper in all of those relationships, like even like talking about his mother and, you know, where his mother came from and the values and what she was attempting to push for her. And, and even like the love loss that she had, right. Mm-hmm. With the people that she was seeing and things like that, or, you know, going. So, yeah. And then setting, like you said, the, the, the laws or the things that are going on in culture, um, around that time that helped yeah. affect, right? That that's the things that are going on. So I think that was a definite perspective. Now, did you know when you started that Tupac was going to be a as big or as intertwined? Because like different people do different kind of ways they intertwine their lives, but like you really took like time. I mean, I mean, you think you delved into like a period where we were talking about Tupac, right? Yeah. And then kind of you know mirroring it back with how how their um, their times you know were adjacent. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, look, we, we've been around long enough. We know their stories well enough. It's like, dog, you can't talk about Biggie without talking about Pac, and you can't talk about Pac without talking about Biggie. Like, they they are intertwined for the rest of eternity, for the next however many lifetimes they are. Um, I knew when I started the book, I wanted – I didn't want to make this a book about Biggie and Tupac, but I knew that Tupac was going to be a hefty portion of the book. And I knew what I really wanted to do was so often in history, like Biggie and Pac are remembered as these two young black men who had a beef, you know, words were exchanged, mostly on Tupac's part. And, you know, some rumors and allegations were spewed around. And uh, it was just really ugly in terms of how it played out on a public scale. And of course, you know, they lost their lives in very tragic and very violent fashions. Like the world knows that. And yes, that is part of the story. But I wanted to paint the picture of their friendship just as much as any of that. So when you read the book, there's a really significant portion on how their friendship began, how it evolved and why it mattered so much. Not just the Biggie, but the Tupac as well. And so when you see Tupac lash out the way that he does after certain events in his life, he's just not doing it because like, oh, he's like this crazy Gemini who just flies off of the rails any chance he gets like Tupac was hurt from what he perceived was a slight by Biggie when it really wasn't that and it's just it just it's it's a timeless example of just how miscommunication can ruin everything and it's just like yo if they could have gotten the same room just them two just them two and be like hey Pac what's your beef what did what do you think I did to you Here's my response. I'm sorry for whatever I did to hurt you. And Pac would just be like, you know what? I was tripping doing this. You know what I mean? I don't take back anything I said because, you know, Pac was just hard-headed like that. But, like, <laughs> let's just agree to just, like, squash this and move on. And it's just like, if they could have got that hour alone together to just smoke blunts and drink Hennessy and do whatever it is that they wanted to do, like, it's no telling how different the cultural landscape could look right now. But it's just always going to be one of those painful what ifs. So I really wanted to paint their friendship and why that mattered at the time in their lives when they were friends and why that was so important. Because, you know, black male friendship, it doesn't always get 
uh, black male friendship and black male brotherhood and all that. It doesn't really get uh, showcased the way that black beef and black, you know, violence mm-hmm. and black falling outs do. You know what I mean? So that so was important true. to me. That's a great point. MH brings so, that up all the time. So true. I don't mean to be dramatic with this question, but, you know, yeah. writing about icons, you know, yeah. we, we, we talked about Jamie Foxx portraying many people that he's portraying. Hell, Will Smith slapped the hell out of somebody portraying, <laughs> portraying somebody. Like, what was the emotional, how, how were you emotionally tackling this project? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I remember exactly where I was when I found out Pac died. I remember exactly where I was when I found, uh, when I found out Biggie died. And I never in a million years would have imagined that I would be writing about them to the extent that I am now. So I knew that, like, especially for Biggie, because the book is about Big, I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to make this like a PR type book. I'm not going to write like a fluff piece. I'm going to write the story and the the way that it should be written. And I was like, I think at the end of the day, you, you know, Biggie would appreciate that. He was like, don't, you know what I mean? Don't erase any parts of my life, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And so when you're actually in the weeds and you're writing about this and you're listening to interviews that, you know, you can only find in like the darkest corners of YouTube that have like (laughs) 4,000 views and they're like 18 years old at this point. Like, wait, nobody's seen this. And it's just like, wow. And they're, they're not just quotes that you put into a book anymore you're starting to piece together somebody's life and you realize it's like, bruh, if you could have just made one decision differently and you're writing it. And I th- the hardest, the hardest chapter to write was, and I'm sure it's for everybody who reads the book because it's like, there's no surprises in this. Like the ending isn't different. Like you know <laughs> how the story ends, you right. know what I mean? Right. And so it's like, that that joint when he's in LA in March of 97 and like he's like enjoying life out there and like he was like oh man should I go to London or should I stay for this party in LA and I'm just like as I'm writing it I'm like bro just go to London dog if you go to London like ah and it's just to know and I had to go I went back and read it obviously during the editing process but I went back and read it a couple of months after the book came out and I was reading that chapter. It's called Long Kiss Goodnight. Obviously, it was based off one of his songs, but it was just based off the last couple of hours of his life. And like, is I'm like, damn, man, like it, it, it's very haunting to go back and read because to know that I painted that picture and this is something I've lived with my entire life. But just to know that, like, I basically put myself in Los Angeles in March 1997 and I'm. I'm with Biggie at that vibe party where they're playing hypnotized 25. Everybody's hype, everybody's yeah. love. And I'm I'm in the Peterson when the uh fire marshal says, All right, we gotta shut this down. There's too many people. And I'm with Big as he's like on his cane waiting for you know his ride to come. And I'm with Big getting in the car, and I'm just like, dog, there's nothing. I think the hardest part was, yo, there's nothing I can do to save this dude mm-hmm. because that's not the story. And, you know, as a journalist, you're taught to write the story. And so that's a great question, man. But like, it's, it's a very, it's a very haunting read. I don't know when I'll go back and reread the book, but I hope if you haven't read it, you should read it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, that, that's a great question though, man. Oh, that's, 
It's funny because I always, I always, and I'm not calling Biggie Jesus at all, but I'm always like the folks that wrote the Bible, like telling that story. Like, I wonder how they was like really handling it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, seriously, seriously. Yeah. Like, it, it's real. Like, I, I, I wonder, like, you know, Alex Haley working on Malcolm X's biography, right. autobiography. It's just like, bro, like, especially no, no. writing that chapter in 1965. <laughs> it's just like, come on, dog, and like, it, it's just. To be there to, and to write something that the whole world knows how it ends. Yeah. But you have to give the intimate look into how it ended. Like, I, I don't think I realized how much of an emotional toll that was going to take. Because at the same time, too, MH, I was working on my 30 for 30 podcast, the, the Nipsey Hustle joint. So I'm dealing with, like, death mm. with Big. Then I'm dealing with death with Nipsey and trying to tell both of those stories. I ain't gonna lie, I had to I, I had to talk to my therapist quite often. I mean, I'll, I still do, but right. I had to talk to him. I'm like, yo, this is taking a lot out of me, man. Like for real. And it's bringing you back, man. Cause like I cry. Like when you start going back to um how his mom was and no one could tell his mom. I'm, I mean, y'all gonna I mean, like I said, y'all know it, but you still yeah. need to go read the book. Still go read right. the book. Read the yeah. book, read the book, read the book. So the algorithm picks it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, um sure. No, man. And then, like, you know, even, like, when you're talking about how they're, like, going down Harlem and just remembering, like, that parade stuff, like, after I listened to the audiobook, man, I went back to YouTube just to play those clips of the funeral after yeah. listening to your book, man. Yeah. So, like, no, like you said, coming, painting that pitch and, like, your words you use and, like, you know, telling that, you know, you can't just say, oh, he got shot. You know, you have to kind of, like, take the whole thing up to have the, the calls he had and getting yep. to the, like, all of that, man. So, no man, great stuff, man. Great stuff. So Appreciate try, you, bro. <laughs> try to take it to a little bit of a lighter side, man. Um yeah. uh Amin, Amin Hazel, man. We've had him on the show. Means a you know a, my a, guy. A good dude. He made a little joke about uh how he you got inspired to write the book. <laughs> so oh, that was a little clip. Did you say that? No. <laughs> so he said that the reason you wrote the book is because you guys had a debate on who the best rapper was. And at the time you did not think Biggie Smalls was the best rapper. So <laughs> with that, who do you think is the best rapper? First of all, <laughs> I mean, I hope you hear this part. I mean, it's full of shit. <laughs> all right. That's my guy. I love Amino Hassan to death. Love him. Well, what this was, was, we had a podcast way, way back in the day. It was a mean and my guy, Big Wise. They okay. obviously they're both New York guys, so they they were they were on Biggie. And myself and my boy Trayvon, Trayvon Edwards, Black Trey, we were on team Tupac. And we basically did like a versus before versus. We just started playing songs back and forth. So I was on team Tupac because Tupac was uh, still is, you know, my favorite artist growing up. Like, he's somebody I'm, I'm deeply connected to. I, obviously, I love Big. I love Big deeply. So, like, I mean, <laughs> um, but uh, no, what was your question for that? I just had to give proper context for what he was saying. No, I, I think it was just more of a joking thing and kind of spinning back into like why you write the book because, like, we know you know yeah. you got that you got that um oh that I, offer, you got that offer to, to write it. But the but moment yeah. I heard that I was I signed that contract that I was going to be writing the book, I knew Amin was going to come. Like, oh my god, He's <laughs> you knew it was going to happen, right? <laughs> like, he going to find a way to take credit for this shit, ain't he? Like, but no, I mean, I mean, I love that guy, man. That's my dude for real. Definitely. And then just kind of tying it all up really quick before we move, jump to the to the next thing really quick is um 
how did the family receive it? Like what, you know, I know you talked about the relationship with CJ, like how, you know, cause that is a heavy burden to do that. Right. And not being yeah. able to be face to face, you know, what kind of things that you get from, you know, all the people that were in, that are obviously involved. Um, so I've heard, obviously I, kn I knew CJ for a couple of years and cause he had, he had been reading my work for, for a while and we just connected via Instagram and we just became really cool from there. And uh, he was one of the first people I interviewed for the book. So, and I told him, and I told him off the rip, I'm like, hey, look, this is not some like uh, shake job that I'm trying to just do for a check. And I'm, I'm trying to find like the worst stories that I can about your dad to be sensational. Like, no, man, I got too much respect for, you know, you, you know, his music, his art and your family. Of course, you know, I'm going to tell the story exactly how it should be told. But I'm I'm not that type of person because I remember reading uh, in Valletta Wallace's uh, memoir that she did back in 2005. Uh, she was supposed to be working on a book with the journalist, you know, shortly after her son died. But apparently, like the journalist took the money and just never did the book. And so that kind of like soured her on for a long time uh, on her relationship with journalists. So I can only imagine how, you know, me reaching out like, hey, I'm a journalist. I want to work on a book on your son. And you don't she don't know me from a can of paint. I, that could be triggering in some ways. One is triggering because of your past experience with a journalist. And two, it's triggering because I want to write about your son. And obviously your son is no longer here. Mm -hmm. So CJ, he was like, bro, I get it. I completely understand. I wrote up a letter to give to, you know, the, the estate. And he made sure that the, the, the letter got to the estate. I never heard anything back, which I completely understand and I respect. But I respect this too. They never stopped me from doing anything. Like everybody awesome. knew that I was working on that book. And, you know, some people was like, yo, out of the respect to Miss Wallace, if she's not talking for it, I don't want to talk, but I can refer you to some people who met, who, who will probably talk to you for it. So they didn't block me by any means. And, you know, CJ, CJ and I have only gotten closer since then. So, you know, I, I got a ton of respect for the Wallace family for sure. And that's dope what he says about like you introducing him to parts of his dad that he didn't get a chance to. That's, that's fucking deep and big. Yeah, man. Nah, that shit is super deep, man. He he's a deep dude, man. But he's he's just like his dad, though, man. Like that that like real cool, calm, laid back demeanor. Like he he's he's definitely got his dad's chill vibe for sure. There it is. All right, man. I want to jump into one last thing, man. That's kind of important to you, man. And it's you know I definitely want to share it on my end. So, um, Alzheimer's, man. It's something that like you know a lot of people don't talk about it. Um. You know, my my dad had a form of dementia that, you know, kind of uh, went into Alzheimer's before he passed, man. And it's just yeah. it's one of the silent creepers that kind of really robs the last years of people's lives and things like that, man. So I just want to give you that kind of platform to talk about, like, you know, what's going on in your world and, and, and you know, um, just bring awareness to it. Yeah. So recently I had somebody in my life that, you know, that means a lot to me uh, that was recently diagnosed with with Alzheimer's. And, you know, I the way that I've seen, and it's still, from what I understand, it's still in that person's early stages, but you can see the changes that um, it, it's having on them. And eventually I'll come out and say who that person is, but I, I want to make sure that that person is, you know, comfortable with me doing this. But I know uh, every year in DC, there's a big national, a national Alzheimer's walk. So pretty soon I will be releasing like my team, I guess you could say, and it's just to raise money for this. And, you know, I'm trying to get as many people as I can out to DC uh, to, to come do the walk. And uh, it, as, as you said, man, it's one of those silent creepers. And, 
you could be in absolute pristine health. Like there's no way that you can really just like ward this off, and at least that to my knowledge. And I've done like a lot of research on it since over the last several months to a year. And, uh, you know, when you first get that diagnosis, you're like, you, you kind of like lost in yourself. It's like, damn, like them, why them? And, you know, it's just like, how is this going to change our relationship? Like, what what is our relationship going to look like? What's the life expectancy for this? I don't know. Um, so I, I just been going through like a lot of thoughts over the course of, you know, the last year or so. And, uh, I want to be able to, you know, bring as much light and awareness to it as I can, because, you know, that's something that a lot of people go through and maybe not personally as they're dealing with it right now, but they know somebody who has dealt with it or is dealing with it because it's one of the more, more prevalent, uh, diseases out there. And, uh, I just want to bring as much awareness to it as I can because it's not a day that goes by. It's not an hour that goes by, a minute or a second that goes by where I don't think about that person and what I can be doing to try to make their life a little bit easier. And I think in one way I can make that person's life a little bit easier is trying to bring awareness to it even more on my platforms and uh, when, I, when I'm in front of a microphone because, you know, hopefully if it doesn't save you know, my family member or my family members, uh, hopefully it does for somebody else in the future because, you know, nobody deserves to watch a loved one, uh, like you said, spend the last however many years of their life trying to remember who they are. You know what I mean? So we all live a good life. We all go through the experiences that we have that we can hopefully take those memories from the experiences with us for the rest of our life. And to know that there's something out there that can kind of rob you from those memories and those experiences. It's, it's not just a heavy burden on the person that's going through it on the person that's going through it. It's the, the family, the friends and the loved ones that Absolutely. have to watch that shit happen. That really, you know, it takes a toll on them as well. Absolutely. Man, I mean, I think that's the first time I've heard with this the disease that they forget who I've never had this experience, you know, and, and anybody personally that I know, and I hope I never do. Ever, um, but losing kind of who they are, I, I kind of always hear from the perspective like, you know, they don't know who I am anymore or the person received yeah. it. But as we all in life try to figure out who we are and form our identity and what, you know, you know, that process of what we are, that's. That's sad, man. But you know, prayers to you and yours and everybody else going. Appreciate you, bro. Going through that, we're gonna get through it. We're gonna get through it. We ain't got no other choice, you know. <laughs> My motto. Speaking of, I mean, hey, you're dropping gems, man. So this is the last part, man. We call this the assist, or yep. this is kind of like the coaching gems. This is where you can, you know, either share with us a quote you live by, uh, words, you know, of encouragement, a philosophy, or maybe something you would tell your younger self. Or your son, right? So what is that like philosophy, quick message, or a words of wisdom? Oh, man, I got a lot that I live by. Um, yo, honestly, this is really good. One. So I don't know if you can see it on my arm right here, but it's, it's a tattoo. And it says, only the mistakes have been mine. And if, if you're not aware, that is the last sentence in Malcolm X's autobiography. It's a book that changed my life. It's a book that I reread every, you know, four to five years when I feel like I'm in a different space in life and understanding things. And I always take something new away from the book. But what I take away from that quote is just, and 
and I, I'm a work in progress, right? So sometimes I need to be reminded that I'm not in control of everything. I need to be reminded of that often, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I think it's really powerful because it's just like, I can survive a mistake if I'm doing something like with the best of intentions in my life. Like if I'm, if I'm out here trying to like snake somebody, if I'm out here trying to do somebody dirty and I make a mistake, then that's something totally different. But if I feel like I'm living life the right way, if I'm treating people the right way and I still make a mistake, I can, I can live with that. And so when I see a quote, like only the mistakes have been mine, I, I try, I, I tell my son all the time, he's almost seven months. So I don't know if, I don't know if he really understands what I'm saying, but I'm gonna keep saying it to him. Like, yo, you're, you're human. You're going to make a mistake, learn from it, learn how to be better from it and understand that, yo, you're allowed to make mistakes. You're you're human. Like that's the only way that your life story continues to write itself. Now don't make a mistake that you know will be a mistake before you do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I, that that's something that I take with me, man. And that's a dope one, man. Yeah. So talking one. about big. Uh, he has one of my favorite quotes, man. Like, uh, to protect my position, my corner, my lair. While we out here, say the hustler's prayer. If the game shakes me or breaks me, I hope it makes me a better man. Yeah. Take a better stand. Put money in my mom's hand. Get my daughter this college plan so she don't need no man. Like, so when I hear that, it's just like, yeah, whatever life has, as long as I can look myself in the mirror and be proud of the man that I am, the father that I am, the husband that I am, the friend that I am, everything else is going to take care of itself. You know what I mean? Because I'm not even the most religious person in the world, but like God know my heart. God know my intentions and God know that I ain't, I'm not an evil person. I'm not a mean person by any means. So it's like, I try to live life the right way. And I trust that if I try to live life the right way, life is going, you know, shower me with blessings. And if I get showered with blessings, I can bestow those blessings on other people. So sure. man, that's how I try to live. For sure. Right. And, and your son knows what you're saying. I, it's crazy. I got a three-year-old daughter. Yeah. And she just now, she's communicating what I've been saying to her from birth back oh, to me okay. now. So they, she, he got it. He got it. All right. So, so yeah, I'm going to keep drilling it. that in his head for he, sure. He got it. He got it, man. <laughs> we appreciate you, dog. That is, that's, that's some dope stuff. Thank you, bro. Thank y'all for having me on here for real. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate you. Uh, MH, final thoughts? Yes, sir, man. That's all, man. It's just just appreciate you, man. Learned a lot during this time. Hopefully, we can get you back on, man. It's, it's oh man, whenever y'all brothers need me back on, like it's we family now. So whenever you need me, like consider it done. We're gonna need you on probably one of these live shows, man. Yeah, back, up, uh, back, back up some of MH's uh his theories. I got some, oh, I man, got a lot of I got a lot of theories, man. Yeah, no, come on, man. I love it. Let's do it. That that'd be fun. Let's do maybe, it. Maybe I get a think piece. maybe we can get a think piece off some of these theories. Like I got a lot of them, bro. Hey, look, I, I told you that's how I get that's how I get my ideas sometimes. So look, by all means, I, I love it. That is ideation, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. I feel it. Shout out to big too, man. My God. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So just want to, man, thank you again for spending the time with us, man, especially with everything you're going through, you know, the family, the work life, health and wealth and all that stuff. So just, again, flowers and appreciation. This won't be the last time and uh, definitely using that platform. I look forward to seeing what you're doing with Alzheimer's. So anyway, we can support, spread that message, tap into our family in the D.C. area to make sure that they're pushing the movement. 
um, you know, definitely want to do that, man. So thank you for coming out. We definitely want to thank Brian, man, for uh, helping us make this connection. Your, your, uh, your, your brother in arms. And then I uh, just want to thank you, the listeners, for listening, man. I hope you enjoyed the show. We drop new shows every Thursday. So please, please subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can see this, right? Because seeing is believing and visual representation matters. If you see it, you can be it. And please know you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, like we always say, man, please be safe. Practice gratitude and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even. Assuming you're rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. 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 Shoot me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Spap out two racks on handmade new rags. Shoot me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. That's everybody from sports to college class to rap and back.